It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Daniel Gallen will be joining me in just a moment. Hopefully you caught our Tuesday episode of this podcast in which we drafted three separate teams of 11-man Penn State squads. It was a fun exercise. We all end up with a little bit of egg on their on our faces. Maybe myself more than others with Drew Aller roaming the, the field at, lineback- at linebacker and, and Kobe King playing guard. But uh, overall, it was a fun experience. Uh, we, we put the poll up at lines247.com. Last I checked, Mark Brennan had a little bit of a, an edge there. I was trailing second, and and Daniel was in a distant third. I don't think his philosophy was quite appreciated by, by the voters as much as I've, I've come to appreciate it a couple of days later. But without further ado, let's hop into it with you, Daniel. As I said, a lot of focus on our imaginary teams, and it's kind of tis the season for that with us and a bunch of our listeners, I'm sure, engaged with fantasy football, big boards, and trying to make sure they got everything ready for those drafts. But it's time to focus on the real deal. This Penn State football team now just nine days removed from season kickoff against West Virginia, 7.30 primetime showdown on Saturday, September 2nd. And we got one more Saturday separating us between those two events. And look, we've got practice here on, on a Wednesday night that we're fresh out of. And then we've got another practice period we'll get a chance to look at. But I know at this point, we feel like we know a good chunk about this team. We feel like a lot of the things we entered camp with have been confirmed. Some new pieces have popped up. Some new dynamics have emerged. But overall, I'm ready to see them hit another opposing squad. And I know that that's probably the sentiment building up in the last building as well. Definitely. I think overall you want to see them on on the field against an opponent so that you can finally get some concrete answers uh, as to what we're seeing, um, who some of the guys are that are going to step up, um, you know, different things that we don't get answers on when we either ask about them or, you know, who knows what exactly we're seeing in practice at that moment. So I'm looking forward to it, too. I think that yesterday it got kind of real. I think the being out there. 10 days before the opener and seeing them and knowing that in 10 days, it's going to be West Virginia um, in Beaver stadium. Uh, it, the countdown I think is, is really, really ramping up and, you know, I'm really starting to, to look forward to next week and, and really getting into everything um, as, as we kick off this season. Yeah. After this Saturday, there's going to be 12 Penn state games to cover over a 13 week period. And we'll see how it all shapes up. Maybe there'll be a 13th Saturday in 14 weeks. If they can get to Indianapolis that initial Saturday in December, but that's a long way off. And we'll go back to what we saw at the field on Wednesday. We have a complete coverage at lines 247com on Wednesday night into Thursday morning, a bunch of takeaways from our conversations that took place after practice. Not only did we get James Franklin, we had Marcus Higgins, the receivers coach. We had Dion Barnes, defensive line coach, both of them in their first years uh, as position coaches with Penn State. Several players as well, Abdul Carter, Nick Singleton among the headliners. All that content over at lines247.com. We're not going to spend too much time going through those details and, and reading through our transcripts, but we got to hit on a few subjects here. And one of them is the sustained absence of offensive guard Lyndon Tangwall, uh, one of the premier offensive line prospects to sign with Penn State. Under James Franklin's direction, 
hasn't really been able to stay on the field during his time here, unfortunately. Uh, took the red shirt in, in back in 2021. Uh, 2022 stepped up as a game one starter as a red shirt freshman. But by the time the squad was into October and really got rolling into Big Ten play, he was sidelined for the rest of the season. Only played five matchups last year. It was good to see him back for spring ball. We had him on the podcast, I think, a couple times mm -hmm. this past offseason. And you could hear it in his voice, the passion, the enthusiasm. you got to remember, didn't have a senior high school season as well because of COVID. So it's been a while since he's been out there. And unfortunately, it's been a while since we've seen him. He was on the field for practice number one when we got to look at that back on August 2nd. But it's been three, four, five looks maybe at this point, plus some other uh, team events that have occurred away from the practice field. And Landon Tengwall has not been present uh, for our viewing sessions of any of those. And at this stage, again, nine days away from kickoff, you start to take a longer look toward J.B. Nelson uh, at that left guard spot. I think that JV Nelson is someone that Penn State fans, if they aren't familiar with them already or you know weren't reading some of our coverage on Lions 24-7 this month, um, I think that he's someone that people are going to get to know uh, pretty quickly, uh, depending on what happens with, with Tangwall health-wise. Um, and I think also just because of the, the figure that JV Nelson cuts uh, on the field. You know, he's a very, very big guy. Um, we saw Penn State doing some drills yesterday that we hadn't seen them do before that involved seeing those offensive linemen out in space. And when JV Nelson gets moving, uh, it's a, it's a freight train coming downhill. So, uh, you know, I think that he's someone who, when he came to Penn state uh, from that Lackawanna college pipeline, obviously the, the hit rate on those Lackawanna offensive linemen has been a little bit different than the defensive backs um, over the past couple of years, but he's someone that had to do some work on his body um, and adjust to the Big Ten game. Um, you know, with linemen, there's the transition is always a little bit different um, compared to some of those other positions. But it seems like that he has gotten himself into a good place where he can potentially contribute. Um, we know that Penn State likes his versatility with his ability to play either outside or inside. Um, and he's someone who I think was going to have a role this year, no matter what. Um, you know, no matter how Phil Troutwine and James Franklin wanted to divide things up. But I think that's going to it's in it could potentially become a little bit more prominent right here. And what, what we heard from Franklin on, on Wednesday night really matched up with what we heard about J.B. Nelson throughout August, going back to the earliest days of this camp. And, and, and Landon's been sidelined not available for some time now. So, you know, he's been banking a lot of those first team reps has been J.B. Nelson. He's also been getting work at left tackle, which we saw at an open scrimmage midway through this month. But left guard, when, when you focus on that right now, and, and you're right, get familiar with J.B. Nelson. He was going to play uh, quite a bit. Uh, it sounded at the very least probably going to be rotating in with Landon Tengwall. I mean, we've, we've been questioning back since last January, could Tengwall retake this job and, and really have it? Because he never really had it last year. Hunter Norzad was rotating in before uh, Tengwall got hurt, as we all know. And so I think they may have been in a situation where uh, you had J.B. Nelson working his way into that kind of Hunter Norzad role. Um, and now it turns out you may need him as a starter. Um, as I change out headphones here for those <laughs> watching on YouTube, had one running low, so we switched things out. Uh, but Daniel, I think JB Nelson at six foot five, 330 pounds, the aggression that we hear about them, about him, everyone will tell you the same thing. Uh, going back to the earliest days of August and all the way through James Franklin on Wednesday night, that he just has a different kind of disposition on this offensive line. 
He'll run through you. He'll do it the next play. He'll do it the next play. And, and speaking with some of these defensive linemen, Zane Durant, Jordan Vandenberg on Wednesday night, they both tipped their cap to him, calling him essentially a matchup nightmare, one of those consistent problems for defensive linemen uh, as they kind of deal with this battle of attrition in the trenches when you're battling each other all month in August. And Nelson's a guy that kept coming up with a lot of respect from the defenders this month. And I'm ready to see what it looks like when West Virginia defenders are in the crosshairs because Nelson is a guy that we've heard from multiple sources inside the program. And this was regardless of whether he was going to start the season or not. This was just about how he was thought of coming into the season year two with the program going to be an NFL player. And, and, and that's knowing full well that, you know, he may not have you know, logged a ton of snaps here in 2023. That's just where his trajectory is pointing right now. And I think we may see that in a significant way uh, in September. And, and the fact of the matter is now, if JB Nelson isn't an above average to very good uh, offensive guard, then you kind of scratch your head and wonder what everybody was seeing on the field during this month. So we'll find out for ourselves soon enough. Definitely. I think that the offensive line is a position where you know James Franklin has shown that he's not afraid to use multiple guys uh, in, over the course of a game to get, you know, to get things done, to get what he wants to accomplish uh, finished. So, you know, how J.B. Nelson fits into that, we'll see. Um, I think that, you know, when we get to the end of the year and we think back on over the course of the season, he could be one of the more surprising uh, performers. It's a little bit hard to call an offensive lineman a, a breakout performer, unless you maybe have a the type of year that Olu Fashionu had last year. Um, but I do think that JB Nelson is someone who, when we get to the end of the year, I think he'll probably be seen a lot differently by Penn State fans than uh, he was, you know, maybe August first of this year. Daniel, we also had a chance to, to hear from Marcus Higgins after practice, as I just mentioned. Uh, but before that, you were keeping an eye on that receiver group pretty well. And that's one of those units where we just don't really know what it's going to look like for 60 minutes of football on September 2nd. We think we have a good feel for a lot of spots in the field. But that spot, especially when you work your way beyond Keandre Lambert-Smith and Harrison Wallace, you wonder what exactly is Marcus Higgins and Mike Gersich, uh going to unveil when West Virginia comes to town. What do you take away from what you heard and what you witnessed on Wednesday night? Well, Marcus Higgins was asked if he had his, his top three uh, and even his top six uh, locked in and what that might look like. And his response was 7.30 p.m. on September 2nd. <laughs> so I, I think that it's I think a lot of us are going to be I wouldn't say surprised, but, you know, there's a lot of curiosity to what this looks like, what the rotation um, actually looks like and you know I think that we're at the point in camp where you wrote about it a little bit in outlining the fact that we saw guys in scout team numbers for the first time last night um, of the of the of the month so it's really starting to get into West Virginia prep now it's getting into game prep um, I assume that the practice schedules it's you know it's geared a little bit more toward that um, and so what we're seeing on the field, I think, is a little bit more indicative um, of what we're going to see when the games actually kick off. And, you know, at wide receiver, um, I think that that means that, you know, we've heard a lot about Keandre Lambert Smith in the slot. But, you know, I think that with they never really got that third guy, that second outside receiver to step up. 
um, over the course of the year. I mean, we're hearing a little bit about Omari Evans at the end of spring. I think a lot of people thought that Dante Cephas could be someone who could potentially be plug and play there. Um, but that hasn't really come to pass, I don't think. So, you know, we saw Keandre Lambert-Smith working a little bit more on the outside, and I think that things have really opened up a little bit for Liam Clifford to step up and and take on a, a larger role that maybe some people weren't necessarily expecting. You know, Clifford was someone who, over the course of the, the summer, um, his name always kind of popped up, um, and it was usually unprompted. I think that James Franklin brought Clifford up unprompted back in June, uh, Marcus Hagan said some good things to say about him all the way back then. Drew Aller brought up Liam Clifford at uh, an NIL event last month. Um, so I think that he's someone who could potentially find an impact. You know, he's six foot one, 198 pounds, a little bit of a different body type um, for that slot position potentially. But uh, Marcus Hagan's was super complimentary of him last night. Um, he focused a little bit more on the leadership traits and the intangibles. Uh, than what exactly Liam Clifford brings on the field. Um, but he pointed towards, you know, he's a leader in the room. Um, you know, he comes to work every day. And one thing Marcus Higgins pointed out is that Liam Clifford has really embraced a special teams work um, and that he wants to make plays on special teams. He takes pride in playing special teams. And when you have a really deep wide receiver room and guys are trying to figure out any avenue to get onto the field, that's something that's really helpful. So yeah, I think that the top of the depth chart, I think there's still some massaging that probably needs to happen. And I am really curious to who the first three that roll out on September 2nd are, but I think we're starting to see it a little bit more. I think it's starting to come into focus uh, just, just a little bit more. And as you've documented a few times, Keandre, uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith's versatility uh, ability to play outside, inside. He's done it in games. You just wonder how that factors in. We already talked about uh, ad nauseum how the tight end room could impact the situation too. Uh, I got a longer look at the linebackers. You were over on the offensive side of the field. I was at the defensive side of the field. And uh, big thing that we see take place coming out of preseason camp and, and moving into game preparation mode is the scout team jerseys come on. It makes our jobs a little more complicated because we got to find the freshmen and a lot of these second year players who are still trying to work their way onto the field. And all of a sudden they're wearing the, the uniform numbers of West Virginia players. This team is preparing for, um, but it also sheds light on who really progressed over the course of these last couple months for some of those guys who just got to campus in the summer going back to January for those early enrollees. And, and at linebacker, it was no surprise to see Tony Rojas, you know, right there with what I would call the varsity squad at linebacker. Um, it, it was him uh, and, and and working behind Abdul Carter at the will position, which is what we saw in an open scrimmage earlier this month. And then at the mic position was Kobe King, Tyler Elsden. And then you're going to see Keon Wiley. We have a photo of him in our gallery and he's listed at 219 right now. He came to campus last year at 205. I don't know where he'll be in the update, but I think 219 is definitely light right now for him. He looks like a completely different player, and he's going to be a factor in that box as well. We'll call him kind of the, the, the fifth player in that group at the Will-Mike situation. And then outside, uh, in terms of what we're going to see at Sam, you know, Curtis Jacobs is a returning starter there, third-year starter overall in this defense, played a lot of football. But uh, Dom DeLuca, as we said, do not discount him as a defender. I know he's a special team story. He's, he's a great walk-on success, but he's going to play a lot of defensive football as well. So that was the cluster there. And I just think uh, freshmen, though, you're, when you're looking for impact, 
it's going to be probably more so defense, at least going into this season. I, Tony Ross is going to be a factor. He's, he's going to do it on special teams as well, but I think we're going to see him get some serious run under Manny Diaz in early September, right away. Uh, but I think over in the defensive backfield, King Mack was wearing his number nine. That signifies where he is at, you know, probably looking at a third team safety spot right now, but keep an eye on him on special teams units. Same deal on special teams pathways for Elliott Washington at cornerback for Zion Tracy at cornerback. And you got to really appreciate that, that Zion Tracy is, is in this spot right now, considering he did not get any practices logged during his first spring here uh, with uh, Solomon and Armsling ended up out of it by the time April rolled around, but he did not practice. So, He's caught up fast, and, and he is fast, so that, that makes sense. But Elliot Washington's the, the guy where he's hard to ignore on the field. He's, he's thick, 190-plus pounds at 5'11", 6 foot. Just a, lot of, of, uh, just a lot of mass on that frame already for a guy who's flying around sub 4440 yard dash. And so, you know, you gravitate towards some of these freshman defenders, but I know you also saw some of them on the offensive side of the football as well. Definitely. I, I think the one that I, I noticed the first, mostly just because of the way that uh, practice goes is, you know, I saw London Montgomery out there um, in his number 24. Um, I thought that that was, you know, I think that what we've seen from him and been able to see from him this August has just been a really, really pleasant surprise based on, you know, missing his senior year at Scranton Prep. Um, I think that the fact that Jaywan Sider earlier this year kind of talked about how, you know, they, they didn't need him to be ready right away uh, just because of what they have back and adding Trey Potts to, behind Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. But the fact that he is out there, he's in his number, he's he's a full go. Um, I think that that is a bonus uh, for Penn State. And I think that that's something that kind of has the, the trickle down that you might not see on game days, but it's the fact that he's getting these reps in practice. Um, you know, he's able to be someone else there to you know, carry a little bit more of the practice workload from Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. Um, I think that that is a, is a very good bonus um, for Penn State. Um, on the offensive line, Javen Williams and his number 70, um, the, the five-star recruit, uh, I think that he's someone that there's a lot of excitement about, and we've heard that he's in the mix for that fourth tackle spot. Um, he's someone who could play his way, you know, into the two deep or at least be in a position on the depth chart where Penn State could call on him. Um, and Anthony Donka was out there in his number 68. Um, you know, I think that he's a little bit more under the radar uh, of this group. You know, he's still a four star, but he was the only one of the four uh, offensive linemen signed who did not finish in the top 24 seven. And we know where Javen Williams finished. We know where Alex Birchmeyer was when he committed and, you know, he fell a little bit, but, you know, as an interior offensive lineman, uh, you know, that's just kind of the, the way it goes with the value. And then Jim Diono. Top 100 guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then Jim Diono uh, was the late riser uh, in the class and kind of the the surprise, for lack of a better term, in, in February. Um, but, you know, I think the fact that Anthony Donka has been able to put himself in this position, he is a really, really physically impressive kid. Um, I think last March I got to talk to him uh, before his senior year at an Under Armour camp in Baltimore, and you know, he was just towering over me. They're just enormous, moves well. Um, you know, I think that this shows that he's taken really well uh, to this program, um, and I think that that's something when you know you can never have too many offensive linemen. You can have, never have too many offensive linemen who are ready to play. You know, Penn State really showed that last year, um, and I think Anthony Donka, you know, being right here is a step in that direction. Um, and then one more freshman that I missed uh, 
you know, over the course of, of Wednesday night, but you pointed out to me, it was Andrew Rapelier in his 87. Um, really, really curious to see, you know, what this means for him, you know, where he's able to potentially get onto the field. You know, we've talked about what Penn State has at the top uh, in Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. Uh, Khalil Dinkins has gotten a pretty strong endorsement from James Franklin this month. Um, so, you know, how Andrew Rapelier is able to, you know, work his way on to the field, I think is going to be really interesting to see. Um, you know, he looks physically ready. You know, he does not look out of place uh, on the field, you know, as a freshman. So, um, you know, the, the tight end room is, is interesting and in just the way that Penn State has stockpiled those athletes and can use them in, in lots of different ways. Ralphie is another guy that we had some VIP uh, coverage on early in, in August, just, just hearing about the way he roams the field at that size at this age, just separating him a little bit. And, and just speaking of, of, of separating themselves on, on, on how they look out there, you know, whether they're jogging to get some water or anything, Donka, man. I mean, we saw him at camp last year. You know, impressive looking. He was out there with Birchmeyer and Javen Williams and Cooper Cousins and, and all that uh, during summer prospect camp. But he showed up in January and, and I had to do a double take a couple of times over the course of that first semester because, I mean, he got to the finish line of that first semester and he blended in with guys who've been on campus three, four years. Uh, and and you don't say that a lot about a lot of freshmen, especially offensive line. It's usually either a build them up kind of prospect like a Chimdi Ono or a Rashid Walker, who I think got to campus at like 270, 265. Or a break him down, you know, a guy who's sloppy and you got to you got to transform his body. He was not sloppy, but he had that 330 pound figure all of a sudden. So I think with Anthony Donko, what you've heard about him is is consistency in camp, that stacking those days to the point where, yes, uh, he's a guy who's, who's going to be in the conversation, especially the longer this team is without Landon Tangwall. When we talk about guards, Anthony Donka's name has started to surface more in the month of August, and we sh we saw that further evidenced with, with where he was on the practice field yesterday. I think it's important to note here with both him and Williams, maybe on the surface you say, oh, they, they might be the next man up here. But there's some buffer. You've got uh, Vengo Ioane, who, who's, who's worked predominantly on, at right guard, pushing Salim warmly there. He could slide over, play that left guard role. He's gotten run at left guard, right guard, center during the course of his career uh, on the practice field. And, and then I think at left tackle, you're probably going to have to work through a couple guys before you get to Javen Williams, at least going into the season. As I mentioned earlier, J.B. Nelson is an option at left tackle. Uh, and then you've got, of course, J Drew Shelton, who would, who would be the next guy in if anything were to happen to Olu Fashino here in 2023. But nice to be developing those guys. Alex Birchmeyer, Chim Ono, two of the others will be keeping eyes on. Birchmeyer working inside, Ono on the outside at tackle. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I got to get back to one guy on the defensive side of the football who I glossed over, uh, Jameel Lyons. Uh, I know that, that uh, you know, some of our readers on the VIP board responded to this one. You know, we had some reporting early in August that, that he was making, making moves and, and he was showing that natural bend off the edge, just an ability to get to the backfield and doing it without a deep toolkit at this point in his career. And so that was, you know, and showing up, by the way, at 240 pounds, uh, 245 pounds, looking shredded, uh, just really ready to work physically uh, with this program on the practice field. And now at, at the end of August, he's there with, with those really good defensive ends that we've talked about with Amin Vanover, Zariah Fisher, Denai Dennis Sutton, Chop Robinson, Adiza Isaac, the names that we've come to know and love here on the podcast. <laughs> And now I think we've got to place Jameel Lyons in that conversation. 
Uh, I don't know how many snaps he gets, but he strikes me as a situational pass rusher. Uh, and I'm really curious how they implement him because we saw it last year. Zane Durant didn't play a ton of football, but in some third down packages, Manny Diaz got creative. Uh, John Scott worked him in there. So uh, Jameel Lyons, to me, maybe he's a little bit of a luxury in a defensive end room where we feel like we have so many sure things. And it also speaks a lot about how quickly he's come along here at Penn State because I think when you assess that 2023 recruiting class on signing day, you probably took a while to work your way down the list and say Jameel Lyons is going to be an impact player in year one. But here it is, and it's shaping up that way. What kind of an impact? I don't know, but I do know that he's wearing his own jersey out there at the end of August, and that's a very good step in the right direction. Definitely. I think that when you look at that defensive end room, I know James Franklin kind of framed it as that they've got the, the two and a half uh, deep across because you have five guys um, that you feel really comfortable with. Um, with that top three of Isaac Robinson, Dennis Sutton, and then Amin Vanover and Zariah Fisher. But, you know, I think that we've seen it time and time again in football at any level. The more edge rushers that you have, the more guys that you can throw at offensive tackles over the course of a game, the more that you can mix and match, the more that you can keep guys fresh. That's really going to pay dividends for you, you know, in the fourth quarter, you know, of a close game. So, no, I think that if Jameel Lyons is ready to be in a role, I think that's a huge bonus for Penn State. Uh, like you said, you know, last year what we saw is Zane Durant, the creativity with getting him onto the field in certain packages. Um, I'm really, really excited to see you know what Penn State can do with that front in terms of mixing and matching and what they can do with Lyons' skill set because he's just such an impressively long athlete um, that you really, really do notice him uh, on the field. All right, we got uh, some other tidbits from the practice field yesterday, including, oh, who's wearing number zero over there at linebacker? That's right, Dom DeLuca, the guy that we thought probably was going to end up we, uh, wearing number zero, which since 2020 has gone uh, to a standout on special teams who, who has, you know, known as a motivator, a tone setter, however you want to apply that. But he's a guy that's going to come in and, and, and carry the respect across the field, regardless of what his role is on offense or defense. Jonathan Sutherland has been that guy for the last three years, so he's the only number zero we've seen. Now we have a second one in Don DeLuca and just keep piling it on to a fantastic walk on story here. Uh, Daniel, it, it's pretty remarkable that he has a long way to go in his Penn State career. He's got a lot of potential stories to, to, to force us to write in the next few seasons. Only a redshirt sophomore. And yet here he is a team captain, an established linebacker in, in your defensive unit. And uh, wearing this number zero, which is a a, a very lauded uh, role within this roster right now. Yeah, you know, it, it's always hard to kind of start traditions. Um, and, you know, I think that this number zero thing, I think that uh, is a really good idea. I really like it. And then, you know, the Penn State could get through the first six years of the number zero being, you know, able to be awarded to players. And they could have only two guys wearing it. That's right. Uh, with, yeah. with Sutherland <laughs> and, and DeLuca. So I think you got to give this, uh, you know, some people don't necessarily, you know, think that manufacturing traditions can be kind of corny, but give it some runway. Um, yeah. and, and I think it'll get there. But, you know, I think that it speaks to the respect that DeLuca has. You know, he was named the special teams captain coming out of, you know, spring ball. Um, James Franklin said on Wednesday night that, you know, for a little bit, they thought that they might only have one special teams captain um, when they were doing the voting for the other spots they announced last weekend. But Malik Mega ended up getting, you know, a lot of a lot of credit, a lot of votes uh, from his teammates. But, you know, I do think that that speaks to, you know, what Dominic DeLuca, um, 
you know, the, the respect that he has, we've seen him out there as a holder. Um, you know, it seems like there are a couple games last year where he was always the first guy down the field on, on kickoff coverage. Um, and then, you know, we've seen him make some plays, uh, at linebacker, whether it was in the blue white game last year, um, at one point this fall or this summer, someone said that he was in the lead probably to be the takeaway king. Um, he's definitely one of those guys that has a nose for the football. And I think that he's also just one of those players where, you know, for lack of a better term, he's a football player that you put him out there. It doesn't really matter where it is. Um, he's going to get the job done. He's going to find a way to make the play. Um, and I think the fact that he's been able to do that as a walk on, uh, you know, getting a scholarship, playing his way. And as a number zero, he's going to be more than just a special teams ace. He's going to be in the mix as a depth piece at Sam. Um, it wouldn't be a surprise to see him, you know, get a decent amount of reps there uh, this year. So it's, it's going to be fun to see what's next for Dominic DeLuca. How can he build on this? What's kind of the, the next chapter for him at Penn State? I'll tell you what's next for him is getting drafted in our 11 man uh, team <laughs> next year. Cause he probably should have been drafted this year. He's a guy who did a lot in the high school level. He does a lot for this team. And as you said, I mean, you could probably just put like the ATH next to his name or, or just football player on the <laughs> roster. When you look, when you, and you categorize it by position uh, with Dom DeLuca, but by the way, yeah, 200 snaps last year at linebacker. Again, it's, 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 it's going to keep being a defensive player, but obviously a special team stalwart uh, and, and a few other uh, designated, Nations went out from preseason camp, not only the number zero, but the touchdown Kings, uh, Drew Aller and Keandre Lambert Smith, who I think a lot of Penn State fans hope become very good friends over the course of this season. They are good friends, but I uh, want to see that production from them together. And then the takeaway Kings, veteran and a freshman here, Daquan Hardy, year five at cornerback, and then Tony Rojas, whose name just keeps popping up since he showed up in January and started lifting weights. And here he is as, as your takeaway king along with Take One Hardy. Any takeaways from that for you, Daniel? And by the way, Drew Aller, touchdown king, not named the starting quarterback. Uh, James Franklin was asked on Wednesday night. He's not ready to name any starters in any of these competitions, at least not publicly on Wednesday night. We'll see if that tune shifts by the time we get into his first game week press conference, which will be Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, I think the offensive touchdown kings, That there's not too much to take away from that. Um, if you just kind of, you know, do like basically do the math where, you know, Keandre Lambert Smith has been mentioned as, you know, the top wide receiver along with Harrison Wallace since spring ball. Uh, we know that Drew Aller has gotten the quote majority of the first team reps uh, this during camp. So, you know, those two are, you know, having lots of opportunities and, you know, it is good to know that they are taking advantage of those. Um, so I wasn't too surprised to see that combination. You know, I think this is, really is a big year for Keandre Lambert Smith and being able to put together the consistency across a full season. His numbers last year look pretty good, um, considering he was the number three wide receiver in terms of snaps. But then when you break it down and you look at the majority of that coming in those final two games, you want to see him stretch it out across the season. Um, but then defensively, I mean, I'll, I'll start with Tony Rojas. Um, you know, it is, I'm really interested to see how he's able to get onto the field because he's definitely put himself in a position to get onto the field. But how is that going to look? What's that going to look like? Because I think when you go through those linebacker positions in your head, he's at the Sam, Dom DeLuca's at the Sam, Curtis Jacobs is there. Suddenly. Let me ask you this, Daniel. Let me ask you this. Go back to last August. Abdul Carter mm -hmm. was going to be a preseason All-American. 
who had more buzz around them as a freshman linebacker on August 24th, Abdul Carter last year or Tony Rojas right now? Oh, definitely Tony Rojas right now. Um, you know, I do think that Abdul Carter did get some buzz, I think, because of that number 11 and some of the things that we heard. But he was the summer enrollee. You know, mm-hmm. Tony Rojas has been here since January. We had James Franklin telling us about how he gained 30 pounds, um, that he's you know, up to around 230 after arriving at 195. Had a great um, spring game. Had a great spring game out yep. there. Yeah, I, I think that Rojas has had a lot more runway than Carter did heading into last year. Um, so, you know, is it going to be special teams in that first game? Is it going to be a situation similar to Abdul Carter where, you know, kind of took him a little bit to actually get onto the field, get into that rotation? Um, you know, will it take Penn State as long this year to make some of those adjustments to move things around? Um, I think that Rojas could, you know, could force Penn State's hand a little bit, but also gives them the luxury that, you know, if something isn't working, if they need to, you know, adjust something, if they want to try something with new packages, you know, he, I think they trust him and that he's shown that he can live up to the moment. So I'm, you know, really excited to see him in action finally. You know, he was someone that, you know, we heard so much about on the recruiting trail uh, because of the, you know, battle that Penn State was in with some big schools to get him here. So, you know, to see it and to, you know, to see his talent, uh, shine through, I think has been good for Penn State. And then Daquan Hardy, I thought that that was the one that, um, you know, I don't want to say surprised me the most, but that was the one that I think offers like the biggest window into someone, you know, having a, a good camp and putting themselves in a position to be a good contributor. Um, you know, Daquan Hardy had a you know very quiet 2022 season, I felt. You know, in 2021, I was really impressed with the work that he was able to do in the slot. Um, you know, he had the, the, the pick six against Michigan State. Um, it seemed like he was really, you know, in the backfield a lot, helping with run support. Um, and then last year, you just kind of didn't really hear from him as much. We saw Johnny Dixon getting some of those slot snaps um, in that Prowler package. Uh, and we just didn't hear from Daquan Hardy that much. You know, I there think was they- a dip in game snaps. I mean, you, you weren't just mm-hmm. you know, making this up. There was, there was a stretch. He finished the, the season with, I think, a string of two, three, four games where he was back up high in snaps. But there was like a four-week stretch there where, you know, you got to wonder, was there something maybe you know, nagging him injury-wise, but also schematically where they were personnel-wise, maybe they just weren't involving him as much as, as we were accustomed to. Definitely. I mean, he really, there was, like you said, that lull kind of in the middle of the season for him. So yeah, I think that Penn State is going to to need him. You know, he's so experienced. He's in his fifth year. He's another one of those guys that fits that really football player label. Um, I think that when James Franklin and, and Terry Smith talk about his recruitment, I think that they, I forget where I heard it, but I think one of them worded it as like, stop overthinking it. Um, yes. You know, just you know, he is a football player, he can succeed. Um, so I, I think having him, you know, his, he's got versatility, you know, he's one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player on the team. You know, I think that he's someone who can help Penn State in a variety of ways, whether that's in the defensive backfield or in the secondary. But, you know, I think that that's something that when you talk about the depth in uh, the secondary, I think that that bodes really, really well, you know, for the team as a whole and for Hardy himself to get back out there, be a more consistent presence uh, in the secondary and show some some more of those playmaking skills that we saw earlier in his career that we didn't get to see as much last year. 
Hardy was about 5'9", 160 pounds maybe when he committed to, to when he signed with Penn State late, was probably going to end up in the MAC otherwise, uh, now up to 180 pounds, as you mentioned, low four threes in the 40-yard dash despite adding all that weight. There's more information at lines247.com as folks get ready for preseason to end and officially make that uh, transition into regular season. It's a very highly anticipated one for Penn State. We hope you're with us at lines247.com along the way. 30% for an annual subscription right now or $1 for one month, which will take you uh, through a nice chunk of September and, and get a good feel for how we cover things. And Daniel, before we wrap up this episode, which I know is about an hour shorter than, than the, the last one because we had so much on it, uh, but, but we have a huge week. I mean, it is game week number one ahead of us. We've got a lot of content planned for this one, and we got James Franklin back at the press conference situation on a Tuesday. We've got Penn State players on calls over the course of the week. We've got assistant coach availability on Thursday. It's hectic, it's chaotic, but it kind of feels like home because we're getting back into our routine uh, and it's going to carry us all the way through Thanksgiving. It, it's going to be nice to have some of that chaotic structure uh, back back into our lives. But yeah, the, the next time you hear from us, it's going to be Tuesday after, after our first weekly James Franklin press conference of the season. Um, I assume we'll have some, some news to share out of that with some of these position battles uh, getting straightened out. But it's going to be diving head first uh, into game week coverage. I, I like it. You know, the past two years, my first two years on the beat, Penn State has opened with a, a major conference opponent. You know, the last two years, it was a Big Ten team. Uh, now it's a Big 12 team uh, and a you know, regional uh, foe in West Virginia. Uh, I think that adds some juice to it. So you'll be hearing from us next week uh, into game week mode. We'll have a depth chart uh, on Monday, I believe, with where we think things stand. And It'll look a little bit different, uh, I think, than the one, the last one that we did earlier this month. So a lot of coverage to look forward to, and uh, I'm really excited to really dive in and, and get going. And just some logistical notes on the podcast. I know people probably remember we have a different format in season. You'll see that kick into gear starting with next Saturday uh, after that West Virginia game. Daniel and I are, are going to have to rev back up the engines for those late night podcast sessions. Who knows when we'll actually push the recording button on that one on, on the morning of September 3rd, but it'll probably be about 2 a.m. and we'll break down game one. And then you'll know that post-game podcasts are always going to be available for you on those Saturdays or into Sunday mornings if it's a late matchup. But then we'll switch in. We'll come back to you on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. We like to sneak in that Monday episode. It gives us a chance to kind of recap what we saw on the field before we dive back into another game week. So there'll be shorter episodes. They're not going to be these uh, hour plus long monsters that we've tried to bring you all summer long, but they're going to be more frequent. And that's going to start following the West Virginia game. We're still on a Tuesday, Thursday, then Saturday structure this upcoming week. So that's enough of the spiel from me. Uh, good stuff from Daniel Gallon, as always. Go check out our content at lions247.com. There's a bunch more from practice that we didn't get to here in the podcast that we covered over there for our VIP subscribers and a lot more coming your way in the next several days through the weekend and into game week number one as West Virginia prepares for their trip up here to Happy Valley. For now, on behalf of Daniel, I'm Tyler Donahue stepping aside. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.